Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome back to this episode of Growth Island. Today, I have an amazing guest on. And I know I say I always have amazing guests, but this is a very special guest. I got Karolina Lefon. She has a PhD. She has more than 20 million downloads on her podcast. Let me just repeat that again. 20 million. We're only 5 million people living in Denmark. So that would be like uh, four times the Danish population that listens to her podcast. She's a best-selling author. She has a new book called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, but she knows a lot more than just, not that it's just, about mental health. She also has been writing about how you learn new things. She has uh, academic articles on that as well, something that you know that I'm extremely curious about. See, I just talked to her before getting on the show. She's such a warm, wonderful person. She's even been to Denmark and many other places. And I could continue on for a long time with a lot of her credentials about all of the fancy shows she's been on and so on. But basically, you want to find her book, you want to find her podcast, and then you really want to slow down and listen to this episode. So, Carolina, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Messi. It's just wonderful to meet you. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I really appreciate it. Really great to be talking to you. So, Carolina, how do you end up being a leading expert on mental health and also on how you learn new things? You know, it wasn't that I intended starting out like that, but it was just a fascination from very young with the mind and the brain. And so I went, I actually got into medicine and then decided I needed to move over to another degree, which enabled me to study more of the philosophy of mind. And so I did a combination degree with some medical stuff. And, and that just, I just went into more and more research and ended up getting a PhD in the field and um, did a lot of work in neuroplasticity, which is how the mind can change the brain. I did some of the first work back in the 80s when they still were telling us the brain can't change. And so we used to work with people with traumatic brain injuries. How, how was that back in the days? Because I often talk about that exact sample on my podcast that we thought that the brain could not change. That was a scientific fact. And anyone that believed otherwise had meditation, they were quacks, they were crazy people and so on. So you've been in that battle back then where people would say like, you're a quack, that's totally wrong. Like the brain is fixed. We know that. Exactly. Well, I was trained in that era. I was trained, in, I was, I might have my first degrees in the 80s. And so and I've done four degrees. And so at that, in that time frame, that was very much the brain philosophy. The brain can't change. Whatever damages happen to the brain, that's it. And I remember sitting in one of my lectures one day on neuroscience. So neuroscience wasn't even really a word. It was more biology that we used then. And they were saying, look, once the brain has been damaged, your traumatic brain education has been damaged, that's it. You just have to teach them to compensate. They'll never restore function. And I remember like, interrupting the lecture, putting up my hand and saying, but Professor, that doesn't make sense because as humans, we are constantly having new experiences. We grow, we change, and, the, and, and our brain can't do anything we did, but when we're alive, we constantly change our brain. So there must be a separation. Ancient philosophers talk about the separation of mind and brain, and if we can manage our mind, surely we can change our brain. And our brain must be changing because people get better, people get healthier. And I remember that's the summary of the conversation. And we had this long debate and he, he actually said to me, that is a ridiculous question. And I've done a TED Talk minute, so you can Google my TED Talk, the ridiculous question of neuroplasticity. And so I said, okay, well, give me the worst explanation. So he said, okay, take traumatic brain injury. There's very little research. 
and we don't believe that the brain can change. And if you can make the change there, then we'll be talking. So I did. I went to work with people with traumatic brain injury, and I took people that were written off as vegetables by neurologists. I mean, that's how they used to speak. They used to tell a parent, your child is a vegetable, your loved one is a vegetable, their brain is so damaged. And I took, um, I worked with people, I developed a system of stimulating the mind, getting the mind active to them, and forcefully then directing changes in the brain. And in that way, we saw massive social, emotional, cognitive, intellectual, academic changes. And I had patients that went from being literally written off by doctors as vegetables to getting degrees. And not just one, hundreds. And then it expanded from there. I did more research 38 years later. We reach millions of people. I work personally with thousands for 25 years of my practice. I'm working with people with all kinds of issues. And so in the 80s, when I was working in this, in the story around my professor, that was the late 80s. So mm. it was the first neuroplasticity research. I really had a lot of challenge from a lot of the professions, also being a woman in science. And there were so many factors that they couldn't argue with the research. And then by the mid-90s, we had technology. And by the mid-90s, it was accepted that the brain could change. So now it's just an accepted fact. So I've spent my entire career trying to understand you know, what is the mind? What is the brain? What are thoughts? What are emotions? Words that we just throw around. What do they mean? Can we define them and can we manage this process? What does that look like? How do we learn and all that kind of stuff? It is extremely fascinating. And I'm going to go like a little bit detour. So I read, what's it called? Uh, Homo sapiens and Homo deus. And he speaks very much about us almost just being algorithms and that small like algorithm or things. And how do you see that? Because we haven't been able to explain the mind, consciousness and so on, right? Um, there's some in the traditional Western sciences are like, well, that's not such a thing and so on. And we can do everything down to like just figuring out the algorithms, the one that's running in the, like, in the body. What's your take on that? And that's been a, a going philosophy for about probably you know, close to sort of 80 years now. But parallel to that, there's been 150 years of very good brain science, neuroscientific research, or mind-brain research showing that the, that the mind is not just some ethereal thing, it's a real thing. And as I also mentioned, you can go back to the ancient texts, spiritual and you know, philosophical, and you'll see the concept of duality. And not so much just the separation, because the mind is nothing without the brain. The brain is nothing without the mind. You have to have the two together. But there definitely is a separation, and and... The, the separation, the way, and then I'll come, I'll use this and then bounce back to your question, is that if you think of it, you and I are having a conversation. We are able to go back and forth, we're communicating, we are live, we're using our minds to have this conversation. And, but if you and I were dead, nothing, we couldn't have this conversation. So the fact that you and I are alive, if I linked us both up to the various different types of brain technology, and I favorite key because it's real time what's going on, and it looks at the energy response of the brain. Um, then we would see that the brain's doing stuff. We would see that the body's doing stuff. But if you were dead and we put that technology on, they wouldn't be doing stuff. My point is, is that our aliveness is encapsulated by our mind. So this thing that the mind is the hard question, or consciousness is the hard question of science, is only hard because of the perspective that has been taken. And the perspective is that we have to be able to see it and touch it and feel it. So here's a model of a brain. I can see the brain. I can see now with technology changes in the brain. So this 20, 40, 60 years of our understanding since the 90s, of mid-90s, of being able to see the brain, we've become neurocentric. And that is that well, if I can't see it, touch it, feel it, well, then it doesn't exist. So the philosophy shifted from, well, now we can see the brain. We see the brain's doing stuff, but that we, we, we saying that they, they're saying that the brain produces the mind. 
and that therefore free will is an illusion and we are an algorithm run by our DNA. But the problem is that the brain and our DNA, neither of those, our genes on our DNA, are not self-emergent. And that means that they can't switch themselves on. Like you, your computer can't switch itself on. You, have, as a human, have to charge your computer, switch it on, and work your computer. The brain is the same. It's way more sophisticated than a computer. Um, and we, we, we're going to battle to make AI that even comes remotely close to, to the brain because of the mind. So the, the, brain is, the brain has to be activated. So the mind isn't that, I, I don't think it's a hard question of science, because the mere fact that you and I are able to discuss this is evidence of mind. The mere fact that you are different to me is evidence of mind. The mere fact that you can think and feel and make choices in response to what I'm saying and come up with brilliant questions and do what you do is evidence of mind. Every second that you and I are speaking, because of our mind, our ability to think and feel and choose, that is generating energy through the brain and the body. Because of that, we can make 810,000 cells every second. Mm. You know, so I can give so many more examples. But if you're dead, you're not making cells. Your brain's doing nothing. There's no neuroplastic changes. So mind is not that difficult to understand. We just have to look at humans and what we do and what choices, politics and life and COVID and our responses. That's all evidence of people thinking, feeling, and choosing. That's evidence of mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, very, I love hearing opposing views. And I was very curious when I read the book. I still believe that, like you're saying, like there's something in the mind, whether you call it the mind, the soul, uh, the energy or something else, that's some kind of personal choice or something else that might not just be an algorithm, right? And as you say, like the proof that, yeah, that it's hard to say that there's no mind <laughs> because something is going on. And then there's the whole microbiome coming into the picture now that we're starting to figure out. Yeah. Um, where you also wrote a book about what to eat to be the best, right? Where we're starting to understand more and more. I'm guessing when you wrote that book, it was still at the, at the newer days, but we understood certain... Um, food were having an impact on us, but now we're understanding even more that like how much is coming from our uh, gut microbiome, right? And that's just one element. The reason the gut microbiome is so fascinating is because the gut has as many um, neurons as the spine. And, you know, you think of the spinal cord in the brain, you think, well, that's the superior part of our, our anatomy, the brain and spinal cord. But here our gut's got as many neurons as the spine. And it's made of the same brain. It's got the same brain tissue inside of it. So there's a very direct link. That's why people often will experience gut issues as a, a first response to any kind of traumatic stress or any kind of level of stress because of that very direct connection. But your brain is connected to every single part of your body and your mind's driving the whole show. Hmm. So our whole body, I mean, this is an amazing fact. You may or may not know this, but it just goes to the mind-brain concept. We mind, we brain, and we body. So I've got a brain and I live in a body. Okay, so... The mind is driving that whole process. Our brain and body collectively are made of about 37 to 100 trillion cells. And as you and I are talking now, not only, and the listeners, viewers, not only are you building this content, growing this content into the physical brain as a structure that looks like a tree, which is a thought, and you're doing it at 400 million actions per second, but you also create, as that's building, you are taking this information and you are translating that into a change in the DNA of every single cell of the body. That means that there's 37 to 100, 100 trillion representations of this conversation in your brain and your body at this moment. And as we add more information, so we are adding more information to the content of our cells. I mean, that's how phenomenal this is. So, and it's not a situation of, that's the mind-brain connection in a nutshell. So therefore, and the gut-brain link, that's just very, there's a, there's a, it's a little bit more direct pathways a little bit more indirect example, get your other body parts. It's a little bit 
longer, but there is still that gut, there, there's still that whole, your mind is all around you and through you. It's a gravitational field. It's when someone dies, that soul, mind, whatever you want, spirit, it goes and where, you're not sure where, but I, I've got a lot of ideas about that. But basically, we are way less and suddenly our body can't do anything. So there's something that's driving, there's a force that's driving our brain and our body. And it's a collective force. Our brain and our body are needed to respond to the mind. The mind needs the brain and the body in order to express you, in order to express me. And that process, we actually are able to control the way that we use, in, obviously, certain situations like extreme trauma and things, we can lose a little bit of that in, in, in very severe stress. We, we have a lot of stop very strong physiological response, so we can lose a little bit of our, our empowerment autonomy in certain points, but you can get them back through through support and, and, and therapy and management and that kind of that connection very powerful. It's extremely fascinating. You wrote a book about how we can take uh, more control over our mind or also how we can get better. What are some of the concrete things that the listeners would be able to do? And so I think you're referring to this book, Cleaning Up a Mental Mess. Yeah. So this is, I think, my 18th book. So I've written a lot of books about my work over the years. And this one is obviously it's my most recent and I'm currently writing another one at the moment, um, cleaning up the children's mental mess, so to help parents help children with their mental health. That this book is meant to is it's taken the 38 years that I've been in the field doing clinical trials, going into the field, doing a lot of research in the field. So for many years I don't work in a lab, I don't work in university. What I chose to do is to go into the field, do a lot of behavioral research in the actual field, working with people. And, and understanding people. And so on the ground, hands on understanding mind. And so that plus the formal clinical trials and the clinical application, all of that has given a, a very deep understanding of mind, mind brain connection and how we can manage that. Now, I'm, I haven't created some fancy technique. You can use, there's so many brilliant techniques out there for, for meditation and breathing and all the different therapies. There's incredible stuff out there. And you can, what I always tell people is you can draw on any of those that work for you. And, and there's so much available freely through internet and through social media and great therapists and that kind of coaching. But the problem is two problems. And the one problem is that if we don't package those techniques in a system that drives the neuroplasticity of the brain in such a way that you grow these thoughts um, it, to become, and you grow them into your brain, and you stabilize them and you stabilize the body over a period of time. If you don't wire them, wire them in properly into your brain and your body, then they don't move into the level of the non-conscious mind. So in non-conscious mind. So you have a conscious mind and a non-conscious mind. We want things to go into the non-conscious mind in order to change behavior, to drive behavior, to, to achieve those goals, to get our issues under control, to grow those new habits and things like that. When you talk about a habit, we're talking about taking a new behavior or changing an old behavior to, to a point where it goes into the unconscious mind and it drives what you're doing. And what a lot of people don't do is they don't do that for in a, in a very organized system and they don't do it for enough. So you know what you should be doing. You can do it, but you're not doing it consistently or doesn't play out when you need it to play out. And you keep starting New Year's resolutions and new diets and new exercise plans and new relationship plans and, and so on. And we keep on like almost restarting. And that's because we're not packaging these great techniques that facilitate wiring of the new behavior 
detoxing and toxic behavior. We don't package it correctly in a way that the mind brain can talk to each, to, to each other properly and make those changes in the brain and body. And we don't do it for long enough periods of time. So that's where my work is focused on. How can I build a new way of functioning into my brain? How can I learn something new? So I started very much on that angle with my, for example, my traumatic brain implications. I wanted to help them grow their brain, heal the damage. So we worked around areas of importance. So for example, their academics or their work environment, whatever they had lost the ability to do, we used that as our target and we learned that. So we grew stuff into the brain over using, and, and I developed a system that helped them to use their mind to learn new stuff, to grow it into the brain, to grow a lot of health into the brain over time. And then when I had patients that were very, um, those same patients were, had a lot of emotional trauma from the experience. So then we would work on detoxing, breaking down the toxic thought and growing a healthy replacement thought where you remember what happened, but this now dominating versus this. And that also in this, in the system. So in a nutshell, this book shows, takes that system and all those years of experience and, and simplified down into a process that I developed 38 years ago and then I continue to test. I now call it the neurocycle. And the neurocycle is a system that you can put, as I keep saying, any technique to. So if you like CBT and you like ACT and you like certain types of meditation and certain types of, you can use all of that. You just got to use it in the right way so that you build these into your brain properly and over the correct period of time, or you detox these and build the replacement ones in. So this book teaches you how to do it. I also talk a lot about the current system, which has changed dramatically in the last 40 years in a bad way. Not in a, there's good, there's good at that. The good is that we, where we're talking about it, which is fantastic. People are much more open to going to therapy and dealing with this stuff. The negative side is that we've medicalized the normal um, experiences of life. We've apologized emotions. We've said emotions are illnesses. Emotions are not illnesses. Emotions are responses or warning signals to what we're going through to adverse circumstances. So we've got to, there's a bit of an imbalance there. And so the current gold standard is if you feel sad, how long have you felt sad? It looks at the symptom. And then it gives you, you get maybe some CBT if you're lucky and some medication and hanging around a diagnosis. But that model has worked. People are not benefiting from that. It's actually worse. Those medications have been shown. They're not healing anything. They take the edge of something for a short period, but their side effects are so bad that if you don't manage them properly, you have a negative effect on that. So that model has not worked. And so what we have to do is bring in a model where we look at the person in context who are you? What are you going through? It's normal to be a mess. That's why I'm looking at the mess. All humans are a mess. It's very normal. A messiness to be goes up and down. Sometimes it's very messy. It gets very extreme. It goes through extreme challenging circumstances and we get to very bad states. Other times it's just sort of the normal up and down messiness of irritations of life and so on. And then we have all the, the positive side as well. So we need to look ourselves as humans in life affected by Everything, politics, socioeconomic environment, the, the lifestyle, the, the war zones, whatever. We've got to look at who are you and your context and how that's impacting you and your functioning. And that's huge. And that means societal changes and, and so on. And then we have to look at helping individuals to cope with understanding what they're going through and giving them tools to understand how can I um, recognize that these are responses and how much control do I have? Um, so that's like a big picture. So the system is working with that big picture, but I've whittled it down to a very simple five-step process called the cycle that is based on all these years of research. And each step um, is based on how can I drive neuroplastic changes in my brain and my body. Yeah. The 
also changing how can I make that work for me on a day-to-day basis as well as big business. So that's a long answer to your question. Yeah. So what are, um, what are those five steps? What are some very concrete things that people can do? Okay. So the first thing is you've got to prepare your brain for the five steps. So the five steps are direct neuroplasticity or mind-driven direct neuroplasticity. It's a system, not, not a technique, a system. And you each step is um, sequential. So you're going to follow. It's basically simple. The simple version is that it's how you take and how would it be with our mind world information into our brain. What is that process? And how can I take advantage of that process to build new information? Or how can I take advantage of that process to reverse engineer something toxic that I built into my brain? So this information we growing into our brain. It's healthy, but maybe you've been abused or you've lost a loved one in a COVID or lost money, that's a toxic experience. And if we keep that in our brain and our body, our brain and our body become vulnerable over time. So we want to de- deconstruct that. You, it's happened to you. You can't get away from the fact that someone died through COVID or you lost your money or whatever, or you've been abused. That's your story, but you don't want it to be controlling. Then it's very strong. It damages your brain and body and your functioning. But when, when, if we can weaken it and reconceptualize it, then we can have better health and we have better wisdom and decision-making. We can manage better. So the first thing is to prepare the brain and preparation is basically getting the neurophysiology right. So if we are in a, in a let's say, detoxing the trauma, so let's say detoxing the isolation from, from COVID, which is a very common problem at the moment, which has caused depression and anxiety and that kind of thing, which are not illnesses, they are responses. So now I want to get rid of this. I recognize from the signals of my life, my emotions, there's a lot of sadness, depression, both or many others. There are behaviors I'm, I'm withdrawing. Um, there's body symptoms, gut, gut problems, let's say. And then perspective, my life, um, my perspective is mindset. This is the fourth signal. I'm looking at life. Life is just so difficult. I hate living or whatever. So that's just a broad overview. Four categories of signals that we look at in how we're showing up. So this is modern brain preparation. So first of all, we have to stand back and observe how am I showing up in terms of my emotions, body symptoms, behaviors, and perspective. So that's a mindfulness. And we, t- we hear a lot about mindful awareness. That's a mindful awareness and an acknowledgement. As soon as I do that, I actually do something fantastic in the brain level. I bring that toxic experience into consciousness. When I move something from an unconscious mind that's driving me and controlling me, and I bring it to the conscious mind, I can then redesign it, put it back in the unconscious so that it's not healthy and that drives me instead of that. That's what the neuroscience does. So the first thing is you, you can't change what you're not aware of. So the part of the brain preparation is the awareness I've described. Then we become aware of something. This is a horrible experience that can make us very anxious. And this is where things like meditation and all the different types of breathing and visualization and all those amazing things. And it's a lot that I, I teach in my book and in my act and that kind of thing. Caroline, a quick question for that. So the old school of neurotherapy would like go a lot into like past traumas. How do you feel in your childhood? Mm-hmm. I've learned that more the CBT and metacognitivity are looking more like how am I feeling right now? How am I reacting? And how can I react in a different way or do something? So is this more like the new school of? Yes, it's it's combining all of it because you can't throw the baby out of the bathwater. So what we're doing is the brain preparation brings in the, the neurophysiological, the awareness, the mind awareness, and it brings in meditation, that kind of thing, which basically sets up the, the shift in your neurophysiology. So now you're much more resilient. You activated your natural resilience because there's a lot of resilience in us, but you've got to activate it. 
Now we go beyond mindfulness. And when we go beyond mindfulness, this is when we bring in the five steps of the neurocycle. So brain preparation is the awareness and the meditation, reading, et cetera, et cetera, because at decompression, I call them decompression. So it's mindful awareness, decompression, that prepares the brain and the mind and the body. Now we start the neurocycle. And this is now going beyond those because if you just stop at that point, you're not going to, it's not going to stabilize. You're going to keep falling back into old patterns. They're not going to be stabilized. CBT, ACT, all those kinds of things, they basically look at, CBT looks at taking, this is a toxic thought. This is not bad, good for me. I'm going to replace it. So I'm just going to train myself to replace it. Now that, the techniques of CBT are very good, but the philosophy doesn't work because you, if you don't, if you don't take the strength out of this, you can take, you can replace it all you want. It's not going to work in the long term. In the long term, you're going to have to keep coming back and working really hard to constantly keep this one down. So we have to do more. We have to take the power out of this. So you can use CBT techniques, but in the right place. To, so it, it, the philosophy behind this is you can't just replace it. You have to deconstruct it and then reconstruct it. ACT and therapy, which is also, both of these are brilliant. I'm not mocking either. I'm just saying use them in the right place. And CBT you do in places like step four and step five, but you've got to do the brain treatments, other things first. ACT looks more at saying, okay, let me find the origin of the root and let me now see how I can find a way of dealing with it better. And so there's a bit more um, thinking as opposed to just a um, replacement, there's a bit more sort of analysis. The psychotherapy looks at spending a lot of time going to the root, which is very good, but if you don't work and you can talk and talk and talk and get so stuck in signals, those four signals that I mentioned, that you don't progress forward. So what you want to do is combine all of it, and that's what I've done. So I've combined, I bring in elements of, of CBT, ACT, psychotherapy, neuroscience, neuroclinical neuroscience, traditional sort of therapies, um, Eastern philosophy. I've basically blended it into a system. And then you, as the, as the person, you choose what, within the system, what elements of each of those you want to use. So now we're in the neurocycle. So the neurocycle is now from the awareness and meditation, brain preparation, we're now going beyond. So now we become very cognitively involved. It's done for limited periods of time. You can't just go on and on and on and on and on. You, so 15 to 45 minutes, because if we spend too long, we exhaust the brain. We do all kinds of things that, that drain the brain. So I always recommend to people allocate a 15 to 45 a, a period during your day for if you're detoxing or if you're building new habits. Then there is another way of using it as well, but I'll tell you after, so once you understand the neurocycle. The first thing is now I need to gather awareness. So the word gather, step one is gather awareness. I've already become aware. I've already meditated and decompressed. Now I'm saying, okay, now I'll go deeper. Now I want you to actually look at these four branches of the tree. So imagine these four branches. Emotions, I take it off, I put it in a basket. The uh, behaviors, bodily responses, and the um, perspective. Imagine gathering it into the basket and imagine every branch, like I've got a hand. Here's a branch, it's five fingers. So this is the emotion branch. So let's say that you identify sadness. But associated with that are other, other emotions. So maybe there's depression, anxiety, frustration, irritation. What are the other emotions and why? So once I've gathered them very specifically and I've labeled them, this is the depression branch, this is the gut pain branch, this is the, then the next step is, okay, now I've got those. This, the, the sequential nature is vital. Your brain works very much in a, there's this sort of little bit of the algorithm. The brain is very, is very algorithmic. To drive neuroplasticity, you have to be very organized. So you have to bring in, so once you've got the, the gathered the four signals, 
you now, the reflect step is now, what is at the end of each of those branches? What are the details? The why? Why, 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 why? So, Caroline, you, uh, you, you sit and you identify how you're feeling, the yeah. different emotions that you have. And then you ask the questions afterwards to be like, okay, why am I feeling this? Why am I thinking yes. this? And so on. So gather awareness is not just of emotions, it's four areas. It's emotions, behaviors, bodily reactions, and then those funnel into perspective. So it's four signals. That's how we as humans show up. Every day you show up with your emotions, your behaviors, the way your body's responding, and your perspective. And that's what people are seeing all the time in how you show up in your work, et cetera, et cetera. So what we want to do is we want to now very specifically hone in those four. We're getting very organized. We're diving deep. So those four are the details that you see here, the branches. And then when you reflect, you are, which is the second step, it's focused reflection. I now take each of those. I take the emotion branch, as you said, and I ask why, why, why. So I'm looking for the detail. Can you see all the other branches on here? I'm looking for the detail. Why am I feeling this? Why have I got frustration? Why have I got this body reaction? What's the connection? How am I seeing myself? What did I think, feel, and choose? What am I interpreting? So all the branches above the ground, are, which then this is what it looks like in your brain, are your interpretation of how you are seeing yourself, which is producing how you show up. So I show up like this, why? Third step is you now take what you've gathered and, and what you've reflected on and you write that down. When you write that down, you bring the two sides of the together, you increase, intu- you increase intuition, insight, you activate the a balance of symmetry between the left and the right side of the brain. You activate blood flow to the front of the brain. You increase decision-making. You have this incredible mind-brain-body connection. I mean, your unconscious activates the most phenomenal things. So the third step... The, the third writing step, down is important. Very. That's what I'm saying. It does all this brain stuff. Does very, it have to be like with a pen or can you write it on a computer? Do we know any difference? You can do both, but I would recommend if you're dealing with like an issue, use your hands. Because the sensory mode is going to be more effective. I don't want to say to someone in this technical age, technological age, that you can't do it. My handwriting is like a doctor's and, it, and it's painful. And, it. Oh, there you go. So you do what works for you. So that's where so many programs online that you can, you know, write in. I recommend it's a system I've developed called the Medicog. So when you write in the third stage, you should write in a Medicog form if possible. And I teach it on my app. I have an app that teaches this whole system and I've did videos and it's in the book and, and all that kind of thing. It's a way of pouring. The third step is you don't want to, you don't want you to, to be too restricted. You want to just pour your brain on paper because as you do that, you pull it out of the non-conscious mind, which is the biggest part of you operates 24 seven, which never stops, which drives you, which has your wise mind and your messy mind and, and so on. You want to get that onto paper. The fourth step called the recheck is where you then also writing but you're sorting out what you've written and then to reconceptualize, to see it from another angle, to, it's the, this has happened from step one, two, three. Now, what am I going to do about it? Now, this is where you can bring in ACT, CBT techniques, because now you've done the right, you've just, you've brought this into the conscious mind, you've weakened it. As you, you put these, the energy is going from there, you're starting to build a new quality that's tiny at this stage, but you're starting to grow something new. You're taking the sting out of this. And then the fifth step is an anchoring step. It is a, to practice the new little a positive thing that you started building, but to keep you from not ruminating, not getting stuck. And so you end your session with that. And then you spend the day, every time you want to go back to the negative, you go to focus on this. Or every time that you, if you want to practice whatever new behavior. Now, what's very important, Mess and, and, and massive, have I said it correctly? Mess. 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 Sorry. Is you want to do this, sorry about that, you want to do daily 
over cycles of 21 days for 63 days minimum. Because if you just do this once or twice, you won't detox this. To take the sting out of this and to build a healthy replacement way of behaving um, in your brain, which then produces what you're saying, which you do, does take cycles of 60 days. It doesn't take 21 like popular myth. 20, I've done a lot of research. There's, there's a lot of um, images here where I'll show you that neuroplastic changes, you get, a, you get a gamma peak at day 21. And what that means is that it takes around about 21 days of 15 to 45 minute sessions of using the neurocycles. You go through the five steps every day. The, the two preparation phase, the preparation phase of awareness and depression, the five steps, do religiously every day for 15 to 45 minutes and um, writing all the different things I've said. After 21 days, we are going to weaken this tremendously. Shrunk it, it's very small. It happened to you, so it never goes away. Your story is always there, but now I have a replacement thought that's starting to grow. At 21 days, however, it's only around about this big. It's not very big. It's not strong enough yet. So it's got to compete with all the other trillions of, of thoughts in your brain. So what you want to do is you want to keep going. By day 42, it's like this. By day 63, and I've got another plant over here, it starts looking like this. So you see I'm adding more and more. This means I've grown it. So from day 20 to 63, you only spend five minutes a day so or three minutes a day. Going through the same five steps, but it's slightly different. And that stabilizes, that creates the neural changes in the brain networks and the body and creates a very strong mind-body link, mind-brain-body link for you to now show up differently. So when you're in that situation, triggered, this is what show, this is what you're going to pull from, not this. And yeah. take 21 days. So that's where, that's if you can't you build your brain, learn something new. So that's if you want to grow something new that's all positive or if you want to detox. But let's say that you are now, how does this five-step process, how can you use this on the day-to-day basis? So let's say that you're just about to interview me. I'm just going to... Just and what about the last steps? So that was three steps, right? I said five. I said five already. So the first one is gather awareness. The second one was reflect. The third one was write. The fourth one was also writing. The third writing step is where you pull your thoughts on paper to pull all the stuff from the non-conscious out. You, you don't even think of... You, you are thinking consciously, but you are you allow your non-conscious to drive. So it's almost like a non-conscious process, pouring on paper. Then the fourth step is also writing, but you're rechecking. So you're looking at what you've written and you're organizing it. You're looking for triggers and patterns. You're reconceptualizing, et cetera, et cetera. The fifth step is active reach, which is a little action that you do during the course of the day, like visualization or a positive affirmation or a little action, show white rose, and it grows out of the fourth step. And it's something that keeps you anchored in the day from going back and getting ruminating and getting stuck in overthinking and that kind of stuff because that's is very destructive. What we do, we do the work, then we go into the day and we never stop thinking about how bad and we get stuck in our feelings and in our emotions because those tend to dominate. And then that's, that actually messes up all the work that you've just done and then you back to square one tomorrow and people get stuck. So the emphasis currently at the moment to vent, 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 get your feelings out, get your feelings out. Sounds great because if you suppress, it's not good either. But you can't just get your feelings out. You've got to also get your thoughts, think how you think, how you choose. You've got to do it very organized. You've got to package that. You've got to limit. That's what the neurocycle is doing. It's helping bring all those elements into play. And I also it, learned that once we, um, once we label our feelings, they actually become less intense, especially negative feelings. So once we become aware, like I'm feeling sad, less, yes. and you label it and say, I'm feeling sad, then you feel less sad. Exactly. And that's what you do in step two. You're actually labeling it. 
Yeah. You're giving your name. You're being very specific. You identifying. So that's all these elements of all the years of different types of therapies I've brought into this process, but in brain, in an order that tracks how the brain builds thoughts. How the, sorry, how the mind builds thoughts into the brain. Yeah. When you're detoxing, what's interesting is, is that the, the root system of any tree, we all know there's a root system here. The root is the origin story. So when you're using this five steps to deconstruct, what you do is you go from the signals to the, the labeling of the emotions and the why, and all that stuff which takes you down to, oh, that's the reason why. It tells you the why behind the, how you're showing up. But as soon as you find this, this whole thing becomes weakened. Think of pulling a weed out of the garden. The neurocycle, we use it to keep its trauma or bad habits and things, is you've got to pull the whole weed out of the garden. You can't just chop the head of the weed off. You'll keep the brain back. So if you just meditate, just do CBT techniques, you're just chopping the head of the weed off. If you just do positive affirmation, you can't do, you have to first deconstruct, weaken. So you have to embrace, you have to process, and you have to reconceptualize. That's five steps of what are you thinking about? So Tony Robbins, he speaks a lot about that you have these old memories. Um, and I know psychologists speak about as well. If you go back or the CBT and just keep remembering the memory where it's kind of like your trauma, your negative feelings, you create a highway in the brain of like constantly thinking about it. Tony Robbins then talks about how to take those memories and kind of scratch them off so that you look at them and you do different things to the memory. So it's not just like this highway into the pain of your old memory. What do you think about that? Or is that's also part of what you're doing when you're trying to take out the roots? Yeah, that's what you do with the neurocycles. This whole yeah. system is described. They're just using metaphors. Yeah. The brain. So essentially what happens is that that higher in the brain is what this looks like. So when you have a bad experience, the experience as it happens is the root system. Then you process that and you interpret that. That's what this part is. Hmm. And this whole thing is then how you show up. Let's say, let's say you were raped or abused as a child. And then that's the, there's the abuse. There's the processing. That's how you see yourself. This is how you show up. So, and now the, the more that you don't deal with this and the, all the more it happens when you think about it, and whatever you think about the most will grow. That's the highway concept that a lot of people, talk, not just Tony Robbins, but a lot of people talk about that. that. That's just this getting stronger and stronger and stronger and more and more and more energy. So what we want to do is remove the strength. This is made of proteins and chemicals and quantum vibrations. We want to take that energy away, but you can't just take it away by replacing it with a positive thought or an affirmation that doesn't work it works for a short time but it's a band-aid on the mm. the past on the room what we have to do it's it, it, it's we can't just if you stand on a nail and it goes in your foot it causes pain but you can't just deal with the pain and take here's a medication for the pain you have to remove the nail that's the logic here so what Tony Robbins and them are all saying is we all saying the same thing but I'll just put this into a very organized brain pro mind brain process it's not just taking elements I was just trying to understand how it related and if it was some of the same, like Absolutely. he doesn't only say like think positive, he's almost like he talks about how you look at the situation and how you scratch it with different sounds or different things so exactly. that you kind of ruin the memory or like it, it's not as painful because you see it in different situations, right? Well, that's, he's totally correct. What he's doing there is he's making you go through basically without the steps, knowing this, this yeah. big awareness. I mean, you get to the point where you write it down and you get to the recheck. All those things, finding antidotes, taking the pain away, this, all those are little techniques you can add <clears> for, and yep. it's fine. But the process is the whole idea is you want to weaken this, and it's not going to happen in one day. It's going to take cycles of 63 days minimum. So I've had some yep. patients who've been through severe trauma who've had two, taken two years. to. So that's that's 10 cycles of 63 days. The point is that we've got to go in the right mind-brain order 
and we've got to go for long enough time. When we do that, that's how we scratch out the memories, weaken the highway, whatever metaphor you want to use. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's how it basically works. Yeah. Time is running, Caroline. So uh, one thing to ask you, there's two things where people can find more about you. But first, if you had to give one to three advice for the listeners about how to live a happy, healthy and meaningful life and really shorten down, what would that be? What I would say is that we've described a long process, well, I've described a long process of what I call mind management. So you're managing your mind to change your brain and your body. And I've spoken more specifically about sort of traumas. But you can also manage your mind all day long because you're, you can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you cannot even go three seconds without your mind working. So your mind drives everything about your brain and your body and your life. So the first main point is to recognize mind never stops even when you sleep. So therefore, you need to manage your mind, and research shows we can do that every 10 seconds. So mind management is absolutely key, and mind management is basically being very aware of how you are thinking, feeling, and choosing, because that's what mind is. Mind is how you think, feel, and choose. And so it's being very aware of how you think, feel, and choose. What does it to, to do you sort of Tony Robbins' language, because you called him up, is what are those memories that are blocking you? What are those highways? What are those super highways that support you with the blocks in the highway? That kind of thing is being aware of how you're functioning in the moment. What are you saying? How am I saying it? What's the impact on me? What's the impact on others? How can I change that? So you can use literally use the five of mind management, the neurocycle, in a short period of time as well to manage the day-to-day. And then, and then you can obviously dedicate a, a fixed amount of time each day to work on the big stuff. So break it into two. Mind manage. Every team, I'm not saying go look at your watch every 10 seconds. I'm saying, just be aware that you can manage your mind. You can stand back and observe yourself. Use the five steps. What am I thinking? How am I reacting? You don't have to always write it down. You can visualize for that right step, the third and fourth step, which are writing. What's a better way of functioning? And then do it. So you can get yourself under control and mind management later on. You can dedicate a fixed amount of time every day, 15 to 15 minutes, over cycles of 63 days to deal with the big stuff. And then the other thing I would say is that you can't control the events and circumstances of life but you can control your reactions. You can learn to control. I should say you, you can learn to control and activates your resilience. So those are, I mean, there's so much more, but those are based on mind management. Fantastic. Caroline, where is it best for people to look for you? I will put all the links in the show notes, but where would you recommend people to look you up first? Probably Instagram because um, social media, because at, you, know, you go to social media, my social media handles Dr. Caroline Lee. And from there, you can get to my webpage, which is doctor.com. All my, my, my podcast is cleaning up your mental mess. My app is called Neurocycle. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. The book's available if books are sold and I have So I've got a store online as well. So probably start with Instagram and follow me there. And from there, you can get to everywhere. And you will be in good company with more than seven, no, 600 and something thousand people follow you on Instagram already. So uh, that's definitely a recommendation to go check out. Both check out the podcast, the book, and the Instagram account. You are in good company. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your great questions and giving me so much time to share. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.